very often our job, right? That's a vessel of navigation through life, isn't set up to, uh, to give us the opportunity uh, to be in our genius zone or the role isn't designed for us to be in our genius zone. So curiosity to break through the wall and then clarity to accelerate. Over the course of my life and career, I've discovered the power of consciously investing in mindset and personal development. It has been a true game changer for me in my personal and professional life. And I'm extremely excited that you decided to join us today to take one step forward in your own life. Most of my breakthroughs have come from one-on-one -on -one conversations. We created this show to bring you those unfiltered conversations each and every week. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Connected Mindset Live. This is going to be one for the books. Looking forward to diving in. But before we do, today's episode is presented by Delete Me. One of the weird questions we get commonly when working with enterprises is, can you delete my information online? And we found a great partner in GoDelete.me. You can go and get a 20% discount at GoDelete.me. It's joindeleteme.com slash connected. That's joindeleteme.com slash connected if you want to delete your information offline. So before we get started, Mr. Russell Benaroya, thank you so much for joining and looking forward to diving in with you here. Oh, Greg, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Russell, we have a lot of different parallels to dive into. I had the great opportunity to join you on your show. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, being in your genius zone, a little bit about cybersecurity, a little bit about technology. But we, before we get into some of the topics and some of the accomplishments that you've had, some of the mindsets that you're adopting, you know, what mission are you on today? And what are you hoping that each person listening in today walks away with? About three weeks ago, I, I went onto an application called Canva and I made these little banners and I, it was a Sunday afternoon and I printed out these little banners and I cut them out and I went up into my bathroom and on my mirror in my bathroom, I posted these three little banners. And the three banners said the following, have fun, stay light, dance more. I am the creator of the life that I design. And if, if you ask me what my mission is right now, it is to have fun, stay light and dance more. And dance more is, uh, is, is it could be metaphorical for some, could, could, be, uh, could be very actual for others, but I am working very hard to stay patient uh, and navigate through life in a way that brings me more joy rather than all of the responsibilities and obligations and stress we put on ourselves that manifests in a lot of uh, anxiety, which is self-created. 
Yeah, I love that. It's, it's so needed with, you know, just so many people we come across. And I there there's a revolution. I was talking about this with a, a local leader here uh, yesterday. There's a revolution of self-awareness. And if you think about, you know, where our parents came from, you know, they saw what was around them in their churches, in their communities. But now we see things on a global level with technology. And what we were talking about is, does that create more anxiety? Because we have so many options and so many angles that we can go that oftentimes it makes us not be able to move. It cripples us. I have been on a news hiatus for almost three months. Mm -hmm. And uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not aware about what's going on in the world or the community, but I'm largely hearing about it through other people, friends of mine who said, oh, Russell, did you hear about X? And I'll say, no, I didn't. Like, tell me about that. And I'm genuinely interested. But what I was finding is that I was consuming so much of my energy, like doom scrolling on the 24-hour news cycle for things that I cannot control, but still amped me up, that it was uh, it was creating like brain fog. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I'm a big uh, practicer of something called Stoic philosophy. I don't know if you know much about it, um, but Epictetus, he was born a slave and became one of the top teachers in the Roman Empire. And one of the things he talks about a lot is, and it's the main principle in Stoic philosophy, it's differentiating between what we can control and what we can't control, what we can influence and what we can't influence. And a lot of us, and sometimes it's even subconscious, it's, we don't even know that we're doing it. We're so focused on solving the things that we cannot control that we don't even think about the things that are in our control. We forget about those controllables and those, you know, get pushed to the side and we're just chasing the things that are out of our control. And I think that's at the core of all the anxiety and all the discontentment that a lot of us face at different periods in our lives. And that a lot of people, it's the demise of the life that they wanted, you know, think about it as a kid, that life we wanted, or you know, when we were getting out of college or we were starting our business, we wanted this grand vision, but it almost takes that and makes it not possible because we're chasing such the uncontrollables, trying to solve them. Um, and I think that kind of takes us to, you know, this term that you talk a lot about your genius zone, you know, what does that mean to you and how has that helped you along your journey? Yeah. Uh, the one comment I, I was going to make, and, and I'll answer the genius zone in a second, yeah. is we spend a lot of time, uh, and I spend a lot of time, uh, building lists, 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 productivity, tasks, accomplishments, and uh, consider uh, building a stop doing list. So what are you going to start to take off from those things that occupy your time that you can't control so that you can focus on that which... Uh, is inside of your zone of genius. So to to, to transition yeah. to that to that question, there is something that we all have within us that is our exceptional ability that lights us up, where we lose track of time, where we get a lot of energy, and it's unusual for for us to spend a significant 
portion of our time in our genius zone for a couple of reasons. One, many of us don't know what that is, so we haven't defined it. And number two, the vessel for which we navigate through life, very often our job, right? That's a vessel of navigation through life, isn't set up to a, to give us the opportunity uh, to be in our genius zone or the role isn't designed for us to be in our genius zone. And one of the things that I, I realized early on is I get a ton of energy and lose track of time when I am helping uh, other entrepreneurs achieve their highest and best use. And I'm really uh, good and effective at connecting people's visions and ideas to the opportunities for solutions. So the support of them is not only helping them do some self-management, which we can talk about, but also how do I help accelerate or build velocity for the things that they want to want to create? And the work for so many of us, and myself included, is, is the circumstance that I'm in right now set up for me to be in my genius zone? And very often it's like, hey, is my job in my genius zone? And we tend to stay in our jobs, even though we're really not energized or not lit up or not feeling like we're achieving our highest and best use, but we do it because we're scared because of scarcity and the what ifs, oh my gosh, like what if I didn't have a job that we lose sight of the abundance of what is outside in the, in the world that we, we get stuck, we get stuck. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I work on myself and, and I still have a lot of work to do uh, and, and with others to help guide and coach uh, to get unstuck. I love that. We're going to, uh, there's a couple things there I'd love to dive into, but I think a lot of the people listening in today and, you know, myself are asking myself this question is because we seek that immediate gratification, we sometimes forget about the mid and long-term impact of leaving that job or, you know, that happiness that's on the other side of that. And how do you see people effectively get through that? You know, it's kind of like a wall, but it's a barrier of that's too scary to do now, but I know later it's going to benefit me. And, you know, kind of just getting through that because it's, it's that I think that's the hardest piece. It's some people call it the dark wall or the dark getting through the darkness or getting through the difficulty. Anything you found that really helps people or yourself you know, push through that darkness to get to that mid and long-term benefit we all want at the end of the day. The calling is to channel your inner creator, is to channel your inner creator and to move from a place of, oh, I am a victim to I am a creator. I, I am a creator of the life that I want to design. So a couple of thoughts. One is, you may not know exactly what that means, but you know what it doesn't mean. And so if you harness your desire for learning, your thirst for learning and curiosity, breaking through that wall 
via curiosity by leaning in and asking people a lot of questions and having the humility to say, I don't know, and being willing to shed that ego. And boy, that ego is like crazy, crazy intense. Like it's crazy strong. It wants to protect you. It wants to keep you safe, but it also is a disservice to you in exploring uh, where you you might trend in your life, but you've been afraid to, to go there. You don't know the questions to ask, or I don't know anybody and all these reasons, but you are the creator, number one. And then number two, once you have defined where is it that I want to move toward, be really clear about that. Because what I've learned, uh, and, and I had an experience about five years ago, my family and I moved to Costa Rica for, uh, for a year. It was part of our own life design consideration. And what I learned is that we were so committed, we were so clear that that is what we were going to do and why we were going to do it. I like to say that the universe then knew how to help me. It was not, it was not wishy-washy. It was not, uh, I don't know. It was like, no, we are doing this. And I think when you're out in the world and say, this is where I am moving in my life. This is what I want to be doing. The universe, people around you, your community, they're like, oh, cool. I know somebody who knows somebody that can help you do this thing. It's just a lot easier. So curiosity to break through the wall and then clarity to accelerate. Yeah, that's ex extremely tangible for a lot of people that oftentimes they don't have that. It's just keep pushing, but then they're just like, they're just keep taking steps forward and you know, that will build momentum. But if they don't have clarity on where they're going, you know, any road will get them there. As some yeah. people say. Yeah. Yeah. And we can all know this intellectually, by the way, that that's why there's no, there's no judgment. Like we, we, we generally say, Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I know that. But your, your head may know it and your gut may know it, but like your heart doesn't know it or your heart knows it, but your gut doesn't know it. So it's, it's trying to get that alignment. How have you found the best way to get that alignment? Is it, is it, you know, through, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, you know, the endurance type activities, is it, you know, for me, it was baseball. So like sports, a lot of times when I was doing my best, it wasn't all cerebral. It was my brain, it was my body speaking to my brain and my heart knew what I needed to accomplish. And it was those three aligning in a way that was just, you know, it was, it was magic, right? It was that exact point in time with the clarity I needed and the momentum I needed to go into the direction to throw that pitch exactly where I wanted it to go. Mm. And it went there. Um, but just in day-to-day -day life, have you found a, you know, a good way to help either yourself, entrepreneurs, you know, family members kind of make those dimensions meet? Yeah. Uh, I, I have this vision of, of you on the pitcher's mound being so present. So in the moment, it, I'm sure that is a, is, it's like a magical feeling, uh, when you're, when you're there. I would say it's it's about candor and it's a, a, about being in integrity. And what I mean by that is we can all think of a situation, situations every day, frankly, where 
we are having a conversation with somebody or there's some business issue that came up where we think one thing, uh, our gut is telling us something different. And then we say the words that we use are also different because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or uh, we're scared ourselves. And that happens every day, probably every single day for, for most of us. And it happens in a personal relationships and it happens in professional relationships. And the invitation that, that, that I'm working on, I think that many of us are working on is to figure out how to stay, how to stay in alignment and speak, speak the thing that you think and the way that you feel. And if there's a disconnect, also be able to articulate that. And so really driving to stay in sync full body uh, is, is the work, but you could imagine when you get really good at that, you're not withholding, you're not packing in these feelings either about someone or the situation, and you can start to live much more uh, present and in the moment without fear or concern because you know, hey, I'm, I'm in integrity. And when you're in integrity, full body, you can be more present because you're not fighting some resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has to be practiced. I think that's the hardest thing is to bring that. I want to be mm-hmm. in integrity. I want to be as authentic as possible, but then it's that darkness, that dark wall that you keep hitting of, Oh, this is going to, this hurt the five people's feelings that I was honest with. And now they want nothing to do with me and not going back on that and keeping along that line. It's so critical. Totally. Totally, totally, and that's 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 scary, and that's why I think this is this is a this is a muscle, and this is a, a an understanding that you don't hurt people's feelings, that you're not doing anything to them, right? For them, they might be they might villainize you. Oh, Greg is doing this thing to me. You're not doing anything. That they have their own work to do. They have their own work to process, but you can imagine in a work environment, certainly for those listening that are running a business, imagine if we all agreed on the rules of the game and the rules of the game entailed this mutual understanding of checking in with yourself as you're reacting to or dealing with situations and a willingness organizationally as a culture to practice, practice practice in those moments to become the very best athlete that you can be. And so that probably trends right into your, your journey, which is you were on the mound playing a, playing in a game, probably about 5% of the time mm-hmm. of your sporting career, 95% of the time you were practicing. Why don't we do that in a, work environment it's a sport yeah that that's a that's a fundamental shift because i think a lot of people in business think it's always the game they're always in game and that's where it gets extremely messy where when you're in game you have to be your you know your best astute 
you know, right. person as opposed to doing that, practicing that hard work. So when it comes to an actual emergency or a situation that needs that collaboration or that that game time feel, you're ready for it. And everybody else around you is as well because you've done that hard practice. Um, and I think a lot of people aren't doing the practice. They're just in game making mistakes and then they take it personally. You know, one of the things, one of the journeys that I'm on and I, and I, you know, this is just a reflection I did on, you know, my baseball career, the initial few years of my business career was I was doing exactly that. I was thinking about ways to improve, you know, myself and other people, but I would say it in a way that I felt was, was going to feel good for them as opposed to just being completely honest. And what that creates is it, it doesn't show people what they need to see to do that hard work, which sometimes result in them being, you know, they do bad things to you because they're like, they're not pushing me to grow because they're trying to save my feelings and so on and so forth. And that can create betrayal for some people. They feel betrayed. Maybe they betray you because of that. So th there's all that complexity that comes into mind of how do you just treat people how you want to be treated? And I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, I just want people to tell me straight up how it is because that's what's going to be best for me and it's going to be best for the relationship that we're building in, in the short and long run. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would you have wanted from your coaches in baseball if your coaches in baseball didn't tell you exactly how it was do you think you would have achieved what you achieved mm -hmm. yeah and i only ha i had very few coaches but those are the ones that really stuck out where they were like you know you didn't do well today you did terrible but here's how you can improve some would just be like oh you know go get them next time and it's like that didn't you know that was like oh, okay you know that was fine to do to have that failure was fine you know, as opposed to saying that wasn't fine, here's the way to improve that next time around. And that's th those are the coaches that stick out that I'm like, if I didn't have that coach, I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I achieved. Um, so. Yeah, and that's called heroing. When you're trying to protect other people's feelings or you're just like, I'm going to do the work for you and take over your responsibility because I, I don't think you could do it as well as I could do it we're not helping the situation. We might feel in the moment some relief or satisfaction, but if we flipped it and said, let's not be a hero, let's be a coach. How does that change your, your orientation to how you lead? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lead others and lead yourself. Yeah. Right. And it goes back to, to your book, one life to lead. I'm sure there's a lot of these types of topics within there. Definitely recommend everyone go check it out. Um, but what are some of the, some of the ways that you came to the realization around genius zone? Was it because you had the pain of being out of your genius zone? And once you found it, you're like, that's the point people need to get to. I think that's typically yeah. how pain. it works. Yeah. <laughs> we learned through, we, we, we learned through pain. Yeah. Uh, I have a colleague who said recently pain plus a plan equals progress, pain plus a pain plan equals progress. So you gotta, you gotta have some, you gotta have some pain for, for sure. Uh, for, for me, uh, specifically 
when we moved to uh, Costa Rica, that's when I started doing a lot more writing and reflection. And I, I really hadn't uh, created the, the moment in my life to make a lot of observations about my, myself and my behavior and my role in situations that were so easy for me to villainize. Like, uh, it's easy to blame like, oh, that investor did X, Y, Z to me, or we didn't close that deal because of that person who, you know, blew it up. And I, I didn't spend a lot of time uh, reflecting on my role, my responsibility, because the fact is I, I was there. And so, of course, I had some responsibility. I'm not saying I had all responsibility, but I had some responsibility. And then when I got curious about that, uh, it was it was a little bit easier for me to start uh, opening up about uh, trying to answer the why and and diagnose that a little bit and and begin this more intentional approach to spending more time in, in my zone of, of genius. Like I knew it intellectually, of course, like I knew the concept, but how do you alter your day to day to be in service to that? What are you going to delegate? What are you going to stop doing? Who are you going to communicate to and share what your genius is? If you don't share it with people around you, especially your colleagues, they're, they're, all, they're not going to know how to support you. Imagine if your employees, you did an exercise with your employees around gains and drains. What drains your energy? Where do you get energy? And you used that as the foundation of being a great coach for your employees to help them achieve their highest and best use. Like, Oh my gosh, what a what a gift. And then reimagine that your business is not just here to say sell consulting services or be an MSP or be an IT, uh, another IT service provider. It's actually a place for individuals to thrive and in fact get and stay in their genius zone. And and oh by the way, we also sell I <laughs> we also sell IT services. Um, and you'll do that extremely well if you get the right people in the right roles. Yeah, I love that. Pe right people in the right seats. And I think what comes to mind is, I, I believe what Steve Jobs said, and I don't know the exact words, but it was along those lines where it was, you know, we create exceptional experiences. We just happen to, you know, sell technology devices. And that's, that's so important because that's what connects to people. It's mm -hmm. not the we sell the computer like they don't wake up every day and say, oh, I'm looking forward to selling this computer. Like it's more of something that they can feel. And I think that's the connection of the, you know, the mind, the heart and the body, mm -hmm. the spirit coming together. And, and that's what I felt on the mound was like, you know, I love this game of baseball, but I also love the feeling of, of that pitch going where it needs, you know, where I want it to go. And that's 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 that like unreal feeling that I think a lot of us don't get in, like you said earlier, in our jobs, because they're, the structure is not set up to support that alignment, that feeling from to take place, and that you know that drains a lot of people, in my opinion. And there are so many circumstances that that happen in business that are out of your control. And then we get irritated when things don't go exactly as we had had planned. 
versus acknowledging that, well, of, of course, that's a, that's a very possible scenario and how you react, especially as a leader in your business, everybody's watching you. Everybody is watching how you react. So how you react in that moment is going to set the tone for the culture you want to create. Are you reacting by blaming? Are you reacting through anger? Or are you reacting by being curious? Are you reacting by being open? Are you reacting by taking your 100% responsibility? It makes a big impact on the lives of the people that you have asked to join you on your journey, on your mission. Are there any companies that come to mind for you just in the world that embody that level of humanistic leadership? Because I still don't see it, you know, very frequently. Obviously, you know, you and I try to create it in our own environments. But are there companies that are going out to the market and saying, this is what we embody because they're, they're speaking both to customers and they're also speaking to potentially talent to come on board in an authentic way that companies can model after? Uh, I, yeah, I'm going to answer that. A, 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 I'm going to tweak it just yeah. a little bit by sharing a, a, a recent book that I read. And it's a book called hum, Humanocracy. Humanocracy. And yeah. Humanocracy is written by a guy, Gary Hamill, I think, H-A-M-E-L. And Humanocracy is, does, talks about breaking down all the barriers uh, associated with bureaucracy. And it's typically within bureaucratic environments where there's like a strict hierarchy and crazy process and people can employees can go sign a half a million dollar mortgage to buy a home, but they like need multiple approvals to buy like a $20, uh, you know, office supply. Right. So this, what's cool about this book is that they model or case study, uh, two really interesting companies. One is that people will know, uh, new core steel, new core steel, um, and a company out of China called Hire, H-A-I-E-R, I think it's a, it's a appliances company. But what they've done uniquely well in this model of humanocracy is put the person, is really put the person at the, at the center of, of the business design. And so the way that they empower individuals to take responsibility for their area of the business, the control that they give them, the way they set up incentives, the way they make even people that are in the back office be customer facing, the way they make administrative duties, profit centers and not cost centers. So I actually have to compete. I mean, imagine this in your business, if your, if your uh, administrative team or maybe your technical team, Greg, had to compete for the work that your consultants brought to them. And they didn't feel like, oh, this is like, this is, uh, this is a monopoly. I, of course, I'm going to do the work. Well, dude, if you're not doing the work, I'm not, or your engineers, if you're not doing the work, I'm going to go source it elsewhere. 
those companies allow that. So imagine how that fundamentally changes the environment. And I'm not telling everybody to run out and totally uh, disrupt their organizational design, but it is worth thinking about some things you can do to drive more empowerment inside of your organizations and give people back the control that when they can harness it, are capable of doing great things rather than just being automatons of tactic produce tactical producers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people talk about delegation and you know that they want to get out of the seat of having to, you know, be in their business all the time. But they do, you know, most most of the time we do the opposite where where we're not we're not laying those incentives for people to take ownership and then, you know, having those checkpoints along the way when they need support. And I think that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to be a owner of something or a, they want to be a contributing member to something that's in our human instinct is to contribute um, to something that is, you know, delivering value. But a lot, of, you know, I haven't, you know, many companies that I've been at in the past before starting my own, you know, I didn't get that option unless I was banging down doors and forcing people to say, I want to develop this new service or I want to help you, you know, do X, Y, Z. It was, it was never offered as a, if you want to excel, here's a path mm. um, to get there and take ownership of something. And that's, it's like, it's like the companies are like holding the crown jewels in, in like one corner office, I guess you could say. And it, they don't show it to the and then the company and then people feel left out. And you know what happens when we feel left out? Like it's like yeah. you want to run the other direction or you want to do something malicious to the company. And it's that's where a lot of, I think, corporate bureaucracy sits in today's world. And I think technology makes us feel connected, but it also makes us less connected mm. because we're not we're having conversations over chat as opposed to seeing people's faces and seeing how they react, like you mentioned earlier, you know, watching how the leaders react to either conflict or to positive outcomes. Yeah, that's why email is so dangerous. I say use email yeah. only for good news and like, directions, yeah. nothing else. If there's anything even remotely uh, uh, emotional or controversial, please, 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 please just do not send that email. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point because you can definitely be taken out of context in a million different ways. A million ways. Yeah. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about your journey as an endurance athlete. Um, you know, how has that helped Russell in you know life and in business? Because it's one of those things that is very unique. But I always say it's chosen pain. And I think a lot of people run away from pain, um, but you're obviously running into it because you see the benefits, you see the health benefits, the mental benefits, you know, what is that, what does that journey look like for Russell, you know, since you started and um, how is it, how does it benefit you? I just recently with my son read this, this book by David Goggins, like this ultimate seal ultra dude uh, called can't hurt me. And super inspiring. That guy is insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he, he made a comment, which is in the book, which is something like uh, everybody experiences 
everybody experiences pain, suffering is a choice. So three weeks ago, I uh, ran a section of the Pacific Crest Trail, which is here on the West Coast. It's a trail from Mexico up to the Canadian border. It's uh, about 2,400 miles or something like that. But I, I just ran a small section here in Washington. It's, it's famously called Section J. And it is through, it is a 75 mile single track trail through a absolutely pristine part of the Cascade wilderness. And it took us about 25 hours to, to do that, to do that run. And I went with two other friends and people would ask me like, oh my gosh, what'd you guys talk about? I said, well, we collectively probably spoke for about two hours over the course of 25 hours. So most of the time we're just, we're just in our head. We're just making forward movement. We're checking in with our body, checking in with our systems. And it's not so much about, do I have the physical uh, fitness to do it? It's also about Am I, am I fueling this, this machine? I, I am simply a, a machine like we all are. Am I fueling the engine? Am I getting enough? Am I getting enough calories? Am I taking care of my body? Am I getting blisters of self, self, self care? But what often happens like many things in life, business included, by the way, when you're about, I don't know, a quarter of the way into your journey, a third of the way into your journey, you start to get tired as we all do. And it is usually when you're tired, that you slow down a little bit. Maybe you get some bad thoughts that enter your head and you start to gripe and be like, oh, why did I even start this business in the first place? Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe my employees are X, Y, Z, right? And you're, you're, you, you get super irritated. But the, the, the trail metaphor goes something like this. You're, you're super tired, but you still have to continue to move. You have to run. Like the rule of the trail is you can fast hike the, the climbs because that's an efficient use of energy. And then you run the, the flats and downhills. Again, this is all about energy management, energy management. And what, again, what happens about a third of the way through, you, you kind of don't even want to start running. You don't even want to run the flats. And sometimes you don't even want to run the downhills. But I had just read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And what I realized is that so much of this is in my head, so much of this is in my mind, and I'm so much more capable um, than what my instinct is suggesting that I have a lot of capacity to push through it. So my trick was uh, every time I needed to start running, I would say, this is a get to. I get to do this. I get to go through this experience. I get to have this pain. I get to run on this trail. Not everybody has the opportunity to be in this place, in this space, at this moment. This is an absolute get to. And just working on training my brain, training my brain. And so I probably did that like a hundred times. Oh, it's a get to, it's a get to. And then what I would do as as these negative thoughts entered my mind, I had this vision of an Etch-a-Sketch. You know, like the old Etch-a-Sketch, you draw it and then you shake it and it cleans mm -hmm. it, it off. And I thought about, I had this vision in my head that what if my brain, my brain is just an Etch-a-Sketch right now. And as these thoughts enter my brain that kind of bring me down, I just, I just, I just swipe it off. And I, and I would use this, this hand gesture. I'd just be like, wipe it off, wipe it off. And I would continue to work on just cleaning my slate and building anew in a way that better serves um, where I want my headspace to be. So two, two concepts. One is it's a get to, 
and and the the etch a sketch visual really helped me get through this run in a way where when we finished uh, after 25 hours, I I felt great. Sometimes I feel broken, but mm-hmm. I, I I felt great, and I attribute a lot of that to managing headspace more than managing physical fitness. Yeah, it's extremely impactful. Um, I've read a lot of David Goggins and have studied his his work, and it's just it's it's amazing. And and the world needs so much more of that. And it's just a lot of people, you know, just like anything, you put something out there, some people are going to hate it, some people are going to love it, and then some people are going to be in the middle. But I think folks with our types of brains, you know, I I definitely cling to that stuff, and I'm like, that's what I've been looking for. Yeah. Just, somebody that has the ability to not think about things as post-it notes that are just te- you know stacking on top of each other of negative stacking or positive stacking and just that etch a sketch you know really like it, it it sits in my mind and makes so much sense because that's <laughs> that's how thoughts are but we get so they we make them so sticky we do. They just they add, they add up in a positive way or in a deeper hole mm-hmm. um that's where a lot of us sit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. What a journey! I, I bet the Cascades were were amazing, and and the views. Yeah, oh, amazing! Yeah. Uh, one thing to remember is that on that same weekend that I was uh, pursuing what my my ego orientation would say, ah, oh, great achievement. Yeah. Uh, I have an acquaintance who was on Mount Rainier. Uh, circumnavigating Mount Rainier on the Wonderland Trail unsupported two times. So while I was proud that I ran 75 miles, he ran 188 miles uh, over 77 hours. So why am I sharing that other than the fact that that is an absolute incredible Hulk feat of feats is that there is always going to be someone else that is doing some other extraordinary thing that feels out of reach for for you. And it's so easy on that same weekend to look at that and be like, man, I'm a serious loser. That dude just ran 180 miles and I only ran 75. Or run your own race or run your own race and be just as proud of what everybody else is doing as you are proud of what you're doing. Talk about taking a lot of, of angst out of your system by not, by not worrying what, what game others are playing and just focusing on playing your, your own game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that comparisons, the death of happiness, fulfillment. It's yeah. We're constantly, and we can't control what other, you know, what other people are doing. So why not enjoy the journey and not think about what somebody else is doing as your destination that you have to get there or else, you know, you're never going to be satisfied, fulfilled, happy, yeah. uh, whichever word you put to it. Yeah. And we're human and we can't help ourselves. So of course yeah. we, it's going to happen. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just being aware. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Anything else that is top of mind for you that the world needs more of? Uh, we've talked about a lot of the lessons that you know you embody, or you know you continue to strive to improve upon and bring to the world. 
Um, you know, anything in your recent book, One Life to Lead, that we haven't talked about that you think the world needs more of? I think you you embody it uh, in the work that you're you're doing in your business. I think uh, I think we embody it at the work that is happening at at Stride Services, which is having leaders who want to create businesses designed to help individuals achieve their highest and best use and being really conscious about that pursuit and almost looking at business as this experiment of, of, of curiosity or this experiment of uh, trying to find in each person uh, what is going to help them get in their zone of genius. And, oh, by the way, we sell this product or we deliver this service. And I think if we do do more of that, uh, we probably elevate uh, not only the quality of what we deliver into the marketplace, but the joy that people bring in delivering that service to the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Um, how can folks get in touch with you? How do you like, you know, entrepreneurs, um, you know, curious folks yeah. who may want to join Stride, you know, learn more? How can yeah. they get in contact with you? And Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly check out Stride.services. So Stride.services is an outsourcing firm that provides bookkeeping, accounting, and fractional finance services to MSPs, so managed service providers. Uh, so you can check out stride.services. You can email me directly at russell at benaroya.net, B-E-N-A-R-O-Y-A.net. Um, and yes, if you're curious, uh, you can go on Amazon and you can check out One Life to Lead and, and give me some feedback. Excellent. Yeah, it's always great to get the feedback. I think that's one of the things that I'm striving to do with my next book is I'm doing more of a beta test than I did with my first book, which is before I publish it, giving it to 50 people that I want to be the ideal reader mm. and saying, edit it for me and give me some direct feedback. Because at the end of the day, most of us create books yeah. to impact the reader, not to make ourselves feel good or, you know, it's it's not a self thing. It's It's to impact that person. And then when somebody comes back to you, whether it's in business or in life and says, wow, that one thing you said or that one thing you wrote, you know, really changed my direction of where I was headed. You know, that is the best dopamine rush that any of mm. us can get. Um, and I think that's why a lot of us create today, you know, but we, you know, we chase the, that dopamine in other other ways. You know, it's right when the book's published, that dopamine rush. Right. So, so that's one of the things I'm working on is just getting more focused on that impact. And I think when we have that impact and we really think about it from the personal level, business, life, it, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes that you know, you're in your genius zone, you're in your flow. And it's just that that's where I want to continue to live. And it sounds like that's where you, know, you continue to strive for. And I, you know, I love the conversation. Um, I love the topics we're able to cover today. Um, one of the final questions, Russell, we like to ask every guest, um, before we close out is what does connection 
mean to you in a world that's so connected? The, oh, what does connection mean to me in a world that is so connected? Ah, love it. It's something I think about every day. Uh, and that is this concept of getting and staying in sync. So connection for me is about staying in sync with the people around me. And in sync means being able to clear with others when there is conflict and having a way, a method that isn't, that, that, that isn't super emotional, um, that I can, I can get in sync with people uh, quickly and effectively so that I can move through into and through that relationship with them in a functional way. I love it. Extremely impactful, Russell. Always appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. This has been awesome. <laughs> Looking forward to continuing the conversation until next time. Thanks so much, Russell. Thanks, Greg.